Welcome to Backstage at Upstage, a presentation of Upstage Lung Cancer, which uses the performing arts to raise awareness and funding for lung cancer research. Here's your host, the founder and president of Upstage Lung Cancer, Hilde Grossman. Hi, I'm Hilde Grossman, and we're so excited to have you with us today backstage at Upstage. And here's my good pal, Jordan Rich. Thanks, Hilde. Our topic today is Big Pharma, Friend or Foe. And our backstage guests today include Christy Leonard, a caregiver for her late husband who battled stomach cancer. Also with us, Gary Geipel, a former biopharmaceutical executive with insight into the logistics and costs of medicine development. And Cheryl Davis, founder of Red Thread Solutions, a patient engagement consultancy firm helping healthcare companies develop effective strategies globally for integrating patients with clinical innovation. Because those most impacted by a new therapy or medicine should play a role in shaping its creation. And you can find out more at redthreadsolutions.com. Hildy? We're so delighted to be here today backstage at Upstage to have a wonderful discussion with some great guests. The question today is pharma, friend or foe? And we'll have the patient and pharma perspectives. I love all that alliteration. So today our guests are Cheryl Davis, Gary Guypel, and Christy Littert. And uh, we'll start with With Christy, um, we're very interested in hearing your particular story. My husband was diagnosed with stomach cancer when he was 39 and I was 30 and we have like five boys and um, yeah, just a mom that got, got hit with the stomach cancer journey and didn't know what to do and stumbled across this awesome advocacy organization called Debbie's Dream, which we were invited to be on this ad board. And I was like, what's an ad board? I have no idea what that even is. Next thing you know, like I'm in this boardroom and I'm talking to what I now know is pharma people, but I didn't, I didn't know what they were. Like, I had no idea. I just know that there was like really good food and they were really nice. And, and then when I heard more and more, I was like, oh, all they care about is, are we going to buy their drug? It wasn't until like a year later that they actually took what we wanted and did things with it. But it was, it was really, it was really awesome. And so great, great relationships and crazy journey. So glad I had quote pharma in my back pocket through it. I would just like to ask about your notions before getting involved with pharma, whether your opinions, you know, were set as a lot of people's opinions sadly are about the big pharma industry. Yeah. Like I didn't know. Like, I didn't really know anything about pharma except the commercials on TV that made the side effects sound way worse than the disease itself. And we used to, like, joke about it. Like, I didn't really know anything about it. You know, you hear cancer and all you think is, like, $30,000. You don't think that there's help. Like, it was nothing good, that's for sure. I mean, basically, over the seven-year journey, I was just grateful, honestly, for the pharmaceutical industry, you know, and being able to still be a mom and find a balance and, you know, just cancer just changed our whole, our whole world, like our whole life, you know? Um, Unfortunately, we lost Tony two years ago. So so sorry. Thank you. It's, uh, it's definitely been a journey and, and I'm just happy that I can continue his legacy and continue a mission from a different perspective. 
Just one more question for me before we have Hildy introduce our other guests, uh, and that is, Christy, it's well beyond just the medicines and the pharmaceutical discoveries. As you point out, uh, there were materials and support groups helped you meet your goals, your personal goals. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. So the, the first thing was the symposium. So I went to this symposium down in Florida where pharma was like there was a, there was pharma people there, there was patients and caregivers, and there was all sorts of people there. And they were all put in one room talking about the latest and greatest uh, tools and research and, and, and drugs. And you know, like for the first time, like I got hope, you know what I mean? And I was like, oh, wait a minute, there's people actually working on this disease. And um, I, I made sure to go to each and every single one that I could. The support groups are more, for me, it was it was every time we would get together, all the, you know, the, the pharmaceutical people would bring all of the patients and the caregivers together. And that became like our support group. How do we eat again without a stomach? How do you care for someone without a stomach? What are the latest treatment options? All of that. Like, I didn't know any of it until I got to go to the symposiums, which I'm grateful for them. So the very first ad board that we were on, there was maybe like 15 to 20 people around a conference room. And my husband actually got sick. He had a really hard time sitting at the table. So he actually went into an executive's office and put his feet up on a desk just to kind of relax. The, the response was never again will we have to put a patient in an executive office. So the next year that we had an ad board, there were couches brought in, there were blankets, there was Coca-Cola, because that's what I really liked at the time. <laughs> they actually listened to what we said. And then it was like, okay, so one of the things that was brought up was we're sitting in the room, we're told you have cancer and you have no idea what to do. And everything gets blocked out. And how great would it have been if somebody said, hey, you have stomach cancer, here's a book that has all the questions you know, that you may have or may not have, what to expect, what not to expect, places to write notes, what meds you're on, et cetera. So the second ad board, we actually, as a group, wrote it. Like patients and caregivers actually wrote it. And it, it was it was really awesome. And the um, we didn't have to necessarily be in suits. We could actually go from business to business cash, which was nice. And by like the third or fourth ad board, we didn't have to leave the hotel. We were in sweatpants or yoga pants, flip-flops, big fluffy couches. The food was right there in the room if we wanted it. It's just so much more inviting because caregivers are exhausted. Like I was just exhausted all the time. So the fact that I got to show up and not have to sit prim and proper was fantastic. Um, and my husband, if he had to go lay down. All he had to do was go right upstairs, which was nice too, or go in the back room where there was a couch. They listened. So that's what I was going to say. So you felt that pharma listened to you. They, the patients were able to have a voice. Yeah. They even, they even put a pamphlet together for people that didn't have a stomach and how they could eat. And they had us try different foods because for stomach cancer, the hardest thing is eating because they take your stomach out or part of your stomach or you're having treatment you have a blockage, you can't eat. So what are different foods that you can try? And everything the doctors tell you tasted like bleh. So they actually had us try different like organic foods and shakes and stuff. So we could put a cookbook together or a um, like a, a guide on different foods to eat. It was, it's really neat. Like what, what all they're actually doing for, for patients. 
So that must have been very moving for you to to be taken so seriously and so generously responded to. I guess that's how I think about it. Oh, absolutely. It was, it makes me like, I know this sounds probably kind of weird, but whenever I hear people talk negatively about pharma, I have such a different perspective. So I find myself going, well, wait a minute. You're only hearing what you hear on the news. Like, let me tell you my experience with pharma. They, they took my concerns. They took my voice. They took all of it. They put it into action, you know, and now it's helping other people. And I don't know about you, but I love making a difference. My ego kind of gets in the way with that sometimes, but it's just nice to help others being of service. It's, important. Okay. My dear friend, Cheryl Davis, whom I met when she was working at Lilly, um, and we have sustained a long-term relationship. She's now on the board at Upstage Lung Cancer, and we're grateful to have her. And her experience with uh, patient relations is vast. So um, love to hear your thoughts on this matter. Well, it was funny. Um, I've worked in patient advocacy for 13 plus years now, and um, the patient journey or where we collected all the insights and patient experience was always developed by healthcare professionals. So it was an oncologist telling us how patients felt and what they needed. It was never a patient. So I was one of the first, if not the first, to put together a patient advisory board where we would listen to patients directly from them and their caregivers and learn what their needs were even be above and beyond treatments. So I have to be so honest that that first catastrophic ad board was mine. (laughs) And it was, um, you know, we were used to collecting insights from market researchers. So the market researchers who normally deal with healthcare professionals put it together and that's exactly how it came off. It came off a bit one-sided where we were just listening and nodding and having the patients talk, not really sharing back what we would do with it. And um, I walked away that year and I said, never again, never again, am I going to do it this way? And so we, 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 came back together and it wasn't even a full year because we didn't get what we needed. They didn't tell, they weren't able to tell us what they needed in that atmosphere. So we got to back together and we focused everything on the patient and we really listened to what their needs were, what they were going through, whether they were practical needs or clinical needs, or if they were like psychosocial or emotional needs, we listened We put it all together and then we asked them, what should we do about it? So we didn't go back as, and just say, oh great, we listen, now here's what we're gonna do for you. We really worked with the patients in the room and the caregivers and it was just magical. And what, you know, what was so surprising to me, I knew I would have a wonderful experience. I knew my colleagues would. But what I didn't anticipate were the friendships that were created between the caregivers and the patients in the room. And I've been so grateful to see those friendships grow and people support each other when they need it, um, you know, years after the first advisory board. Does that match your experience, Christy? Oh, absolutely. Um, 
Cheryl's one of my closest friends. She knows more about me. And when I have, I remember calling her actually one time going down, I was going downtown and a friend of mine, her stomach cancer had come back and she was in one of the hospitals and um, her family was kind of lost. And I called her and I was like, Cheryl, Cheryl, you have to help. You have to help. You know, what, what can we do? And just to have that relationship or, you know, um, someone that cries with you, that's, it means something, you know, and Cheryl and I together have lost, unfortunately, so many people. And I think it drives us, which is nice. It means everything. It means yeah. everything. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get back to the podcast in just a moment. Upstage Lung Cancer exclusively uses music and the performing arts to get the word out about lung cancer. Through concerts and activities, Upstage helps fund much needed research. As the saying goes, find it, treat it, beat it. Please subscribe to this podcast series and tell your friends. Oh, and if you'd like to join our efforts, consider a donation of any amount at upstagelungcancer.org. And now, back to the podcast. Now, sometimes I hear, I even heard this on The Simpsons one time, <laughs> pharma has this has a secret um, cure for cancer, but we're just doling it out a little bit at a time. Oh. Yes. Make so the most money. Are you kidding? Do you think if after meeting Christy and Tony, who have had such an impact on my life, that if I, you know, I knew about this cure that was put in a closet somewhere that I would let it happen? <laughs> right. Not at all. I mean, yeah. when I hear that and, and I just think just humanizing um, people who work in the industry is just something that needs to be done. If I can jump in here as somebody in the media, <laughs> when I'm not doing when I'm not doing great podcasts with people like Hildy, there's no question that there's been a media uh, and sort of culture at supposition that big pharma is evil because it's big. And I think the pandemic and the arrival of these amazing vaccines in record time is a sea change. The people I'm talking with in the biomed industry are saying that. Do you uh, both Cheryl and Christy feel that way? We're going to get to Gary and get his take as well. But Cheryl, starting with you, is, has this been, along with all the great work you're doing to create patient relation, has this been a huge watermark, do you think? Oh, it has. Um, I think there was more publicity about how a drug is developed. But, you know, I have to say, just to be a little critical of the pharma side here, I feel like they could have, along with what was going on, talked about the resources that were necessary to make it happen. Mm. So, that, so that the general public could see just how many people and, um, you know, dollars it took to do what could have taken seven years in a, in a few short months. Um, I think that that could have been done and it would have helped the understanding. Um, but pharma did not take time to do that because they were not going to take resources away from working to get the vaccine developed and out to really tell their story at that time. So kudos to them. I have a question. It's mRNA. Is that, is that the, uh, one of the things I also thought pharma could do a much better job with was I was listening to some discussion with a researcher on, on one of the news you know shows, and they were saying that the biggest mistake here was to call it warp speed, because what calling it warp speed sounds like somebody ran down to their basement and whipped up some kind of drug 
and then sending it out, which made a lot of people uncomfortable and not trusted. It's too fast. But in fact, what he was talking about was that this, you know, investigations into using mRNA with these viruses, et cetera, has been going on for a long time. So if it were more public, again, it's a, it's a get the information out, get the truth out, be accurate about what's going on. And if it's, you know, we've been working on this for a long time, and now we can speed up to, you know, get the drug together and out to the patient, it would have seemed heroic rather than either amazing, astonishing, like it's never been done before, or I don't trust this. This isn't. So I think pharma might benefit itself by having a better way of, of promoting it in the media, really. It's my pleasure to introduce Gary. And since I just brought up the communications issue about how to you know, get accurate and truthful information out to the public, why don't you say a little something about how that does or doesn't happen and how it might be better? Well, I think it's fair to say that pharma as an industry has had issues with how it talks about itself and presents itself to the outside world for quite a while. I think it has gotten better um, in, I think, the same spirit that Cheryl talked about with regard to sort of saying enough already in terms of how clunky the industry engaged with patients. I think there's been a similar uh, realization that we have to start getting real and uh, you know speaking in plain language and, and being a lot more upfront about uh, our communication of our mission overall and how drugs are developed, why they cost so much and so forth. So things have been learned. There's clearly a long ways to go. I, I think your your point, uh, Hildy, about using the term warp speed is a good one. I, I, I believe that was coined not by the industry, but by the administration in Washington. If, if some good comes of that, I, I hope it's that people start asking, well, if we were able to do it so quickly for this purpose, why can't we you know, do drug development and vaccine development more quickly for, for other purposes? Why can't we always use warp speed? Do we have to go back to, to the previous speed? And I think if, if that question gets asked, it'll all be for the good. Quote unquote, the pandemic is over, that any of us are going to be returning to pre pandemic behavior in any aspect of our life. And I think the same goes for, for pharma and what they've learned during this. Gary, the question that is on everyone's mind is how is it possible that these things are so expensive? I think we all understand the science and the research and the amazing amount of work. But overall, why is the formula this expensive? You know, there's no question drugs are expensive. New, new drugs, new branded drugs are enormously expensive in some cases. I think sometimes it does help to understand why they are expensive, even if that doesn't pay the bills. And I think three things in particular explain the high prices. Um, first and foremost, it's the cost of development. That's that's really the big one. Some patients you know, worry that they're paying for all of those TV commercials, but actually those costs, the marketing costs are, are very small in the scheme of things that the truly massive expenditures are for R&D. You know, the R, that's the research, it's the army of scientists that are screening drug candidates and doing basic research. And the D is the development of candidates into approved medicines. And that part takes, you know, years of clinical trials. Um, in the final stage, which is called phase three, uh, involving, in most cases, thousands of patients on multiple continents. So the cost of bringing a single drug through that process is measured in you know, billions with a B. 
the second factor that I think a lot of people aren't aware of is, is that so many drug candidates fail. They're canceled at various points during the development process because they didn't work as they were expected to work, but massive development costs have already been paid. So you as the patient or you as the family member or caregiver, you're not just paying for the for one particular drug that you're, you or your loved one are getting, you're also paying for the others that failed for those development costs. You know, drug companies need to cover all of that with the revenues from the treatments that do get approved. Um, they have, you know, the drug companies have every incentive to try to reduce the failure rate, but it's still pretty high. And then the third factor, which again, I think a lot of folks don't realize, it took me a while even working in the industry to fully under, understand how elusive and, and uh, uh, pat, patent life is. You know, I think people are generally aware that the drugs are patented, which means they can only be manufactured and sold by one company uh, that does you know, protect pricing ability. And yes, when, when a company gets a new patent on a drug candidate, it's, it's usually for 20 years, but the emphasis there is on the word candidate. So the patent clock starts ticking long before a drug actually is on the market. By the time all the you know, clinical trials are finished, the average new drug has between seven and 12 years to earn back its costs of development. And so you know, when you think about that, it's, uh, that's a very narrow window to earn back the, in some cases, you know, two, three billion dollars that have been invested into, into development, not counting all the failures. So, you know, that that's what drug companies are up against when they go out and have to price these treatments. You know, they have to recoup the actual development costs, they have to recoup the costs of the failures, and they have to do all that in this very narrow window of time before the medicine becomes generic. Christy, you can maybe share a little bit about the incredible pressure put on you, just one person with five kids and a sick <laughs> husband. And then Gary's going to address the overall issue of cost in medicine and so forth. What has it been like? So we found out on a Saturday that Tony had cancer. It's Saturday morning. And by Saturday afternoon, I had called life insurance and health insurance to find out how much it was going to cost and to make sure that things were covered or premiums were paid or any of that kind of stuff. So the financial burden is definitely real. I like to tell people that I unfortunately, fortunately had a chance to do it again. Meaning Tony had um, an initial diagnosis, um, went through a six month treatment and then had a, um, a recurrence five years later. So I was able to learn from my mistakes. So what I learned was that pharmaceuticals actually will help pay for drugs if you have like meet certain criteria and things like that. So I, I wasn't aware of that at first. So the first time it was like, Tony wasn't working and the income wasn't there. And my kids will tell you how I turned the heat off upstairs, made them all move downstairs. And we lived off of chicken and rice for like six months. Um, just because we had, I mean, you do what you have to do. Dad needs treatment. That becomes a priority. Something changed in the middle of his treatment though, in that seven years. And I honestly don't know what it was. It went from insurance paid for things to insurance did not pay for things. That was really difficult for me to, to experience. Um, they wouldn't pay for 
they would pay for all the medical supplies for his feeding tube, but they wouldn't pay for the formula that went in the feeding tube. And then it was like he was in pain. So then it was like the pain medication. Well, one of the pain medications he was on cost $24,000 a month. Who has $24,000 a month? Nobody. And then you don't know what to do and you don't know what questions to ask and what are the alternatives and, and things like that. And I learned about, I think what was hard was I, I knew so much that when it came time for different treatments, I was like, he won't qualify for that. So like, um, you know, the, um, some of the, what do you call it? Um, the PDL ones, what am I thinking of Cheryl? The, um, precision medicine, the it's the immunotherapy. 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 Okay. Yeah. So I don't, I know I kind of got off track on cost, but it was, it was definitely a challenge. It was definitely fighting with insurance companies, you know, seeing if there was compassionate care, if there were nonprofits out there, if, if pharma had a pot of money that could assist in the cost, there was so many different avenues. The average person, unfortunately, doesn't really know how to navigate all that. So what's available now that's different? I mean, you know, we have all these individual insurance companies. Um, Medicare has stepped up to pay for early um, for high risk lung cancer patients to get CT scans. They'll cover it, which is oh, great. Yeah, it's really important to know. But are we still at this moment in that kind of vague morass of chaos, which is, you know, there's no central kind of information or we don't know who's going to pay for what or when it will stop or when it will change anything different at this moment than what you went through? Well, to be honest, I have been out of the the medical side of it for a couple of years. So if something has come up in the past couple of years, I'm not aware of it. Gary, do you know if if we're in any kind of different? No, the, unfortunately, the, the landscape has has not changed uh, very much. There's been sort of political gridlock, as people are aware. I think in Washington in recent years around healthcare reform, and so not a lot has changed. The one thing I would put out that I would encourage uh, folks to take advantage of who are having the kinds of issues that Christy is talking about is in addition to the pharmaceutical companies themselves, and that's a great place to start. Um, you know, if, if a drug that you or a loved one has been prescribed is too expensive, you can't afford it, you know, go to the drug company directly and chances are they will have some resource or some program that can help with that because it's very much in the interest of that company that people aren't you know, turned away or, or get off a drug because they can't afford it. But putting that aside, there's also, there are patient advocacy resources that specialize in helping to solve these access and cost challenges. One terrific one that Cheryl and I both know well from um, previous work is uh, called the Patient Advocate Foundation. It's based out of the Washington DC area and they um, exist uh, primarily to help uh, patients navigate uh, these issues. and. You know, they do that every day. There's no patient, there's no caregiver who does it every day or has that experience that a group like that can bring to the table. So I would encourage people to reach out to Patient Advocate Foundation and other groups like that for help with what a lot of people call navigation. I think that's a good term. That's great to know. And um, so if you were prescribed something for a particular uh, pharmaceutical company, this is just a basic question. Who would a patient or a caregiver contact? How do you know in general, you know, you just can't call the main number and, or maybe you can. Um, what, how would you suggest somebody gets to 
the department or the person who could answer those questions, whether they can get some help, financial help? Well, it, it is somewhat different from company to company. I would say, I mean, step one, absolutely, is to make sure you exhaust all avenues with your own insurance uh, provider, uh, because that the, you know, the drug companies will, will make sure that you've done that because that's the way our system works. So when, when those avenues have been exhausted, then uh, you know, figure out who the manufacturer is of the medicine in question. You know, th their websites will uh, either, I mean, hopefully make it obvious where you go for patient assistance is the term of art. Um, if not, you know, search on patient assistance on a website and, and, and the specific contact options should come up. It's usually a mixture of combination of, you know, a web address, an email address, or a toll-free number. Find those resources on the company's website and then reach out to them. All of the major drug companies have you know, dedicated teams that answer those calls and answer those emails. So you, know, you, you will get an answer that's taken very, very seriously. If I could maybe interject here. So something has changed over the past five years, I would say. Some companies will say they've had it longer, but um, there have been resources put into hospitals as part of the, the doctor's office and then um, they have corresponding resources with the pharmaceutical representatives at the hospital to manage each person's case. So the doctor prescribes it, and then he's gonna refer you to his case manager who is going to work with the patient to get that drug reimbursed, help with co-pays, and make sure that they have access to what they need. And when the patient um, is working with this case manager and they describe that there's that's still too much for them to pay, um, those case managers in the hospital now are really trained to know about these resources. So I can think of several resources. Cancer Care is an organization that has financial navigators. You call them and you'll get a social worker financial navigator that will help you through this. Patient Advocacy Foundation will work directly with your insurance company. Um, and not to mention, if you do look on the website of any pharma, they do have a ton of what they call patient assistance programs. It's not always just cost, but it's sometimes it is the resource to help you navigate and not just the cost of a drug, but the total impact it might have on your cancer. So they might help you find social workers to deal with your emotional um, needs, or they might help to put you in a direction um, of an advocacy group that can get transportation for you or something else, like a third, not the pharma company itself, but somebody else to help you. So I think starting at the beginning with your case manager and then kind of going up the path is the way to go now. Cheryl, I can't agree with you more um, because that's what that's exactly what we experienced when Tony was prescribed that $25,000 drug. It was here's the script and here's cancer care and cancer care will pay for the deductible that your insurance won't pay for. The hospital that we were at did handle all of that. Um, and I, that's, that's the only experience I know is, is going down to the doctor. Now, what to do when your insurance doesn't pay for something, that's the part that part, I think that's, that's the gap 
right? Like between pharma and what insurance will pay for, and then who will pick up the difference if, if any. So in the end, as you look back or you think about your experience with pharma, what's your perspective at this point? I love pharma. <laughs> I just, I, I just had a great experience with it. Um, but I will say this though, I, I have a different perspective when I sit back and I see the commercials to me, like pharma means hope. It means that people are trying, they're out there working to cure a disease or help someone's quality of life or anything for that matter. To me, it's, it's now there's something new. There's something better. I just saw a commercial the other day for, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but for HIV, how you can now, there's something out there where you won't transmit the disease anymore. So it's just like, wow, to see that in my lifetime is unbelievable. It just gives, it, it gives me a lot of hope. When I would hear that there was a new drug out there, there was a new drug in the pipeline. I was like, oh, thank God, you know, maybe this one will work. And I think I that's that's a great way to to end this discussion today, which is we shouldn't lose sight of how important it is to develop and produce new medications to help treat people and let people live and you know be a part of their families and have a future. Hope. That's the name of the game. We've got a complicated issue here. You guys have provided such great insights into various aspects from the patient to, uh, you know, experts on on the relationships to uh, communications. And um, I, this was a beginning conversation. I hope we'll talk some more at some other time, but I'm so grateful all of you joined us for this podcast today. Very happy to be a part of it. Thanks, Hildy. Thank you. To find out how you can join Upstage Lung Cancer in raising awareness and funding to beat lung cancer, visit our website, upstagelungcancer.org. We invite you to subscribe and download our podcast available on all platforms. And we love reviews and ratings. After all, we're showbiz people. There's more entertainment and inspiration to come on the next podcast episode of Backstage at Upstage. 